welcome to our new podcast, In Conversation, with me, Sarah Williams. Each week, I'll be chatting to someone different from church and asking them about themselves and their story and finding out what their experience of God has been like. So if you have ever looked around church on Sunday morning and thought, I wonder how they became a Christian or I wonder how they came to be here at Southwest London Vineyard and all sorts of other things, then hopefully you should enjoy the next 20 minutes or so. Anyway, enough about me. Let's get stuck in. with Anna Parker and she's made me a very lovely cup of tea I was wondering if we could have a little chat and I could find out a bit more about yourself sure yeah go for it so the first thing I'm interested to know is how did you become a Christian I became a Christian because a friend kept asking me to go to a thing called Bible study which I thought sounded awful and because it was the 70s, I could say, I can't, I'm washing my hair. Now, I don't know why in the 70s that was an excuse. Maybe none of us had hair dryers, but anyway, <laughs> it was something like that. But she persisted, and part of the draw in was a guy came to pick me up in a blue sports car, and somehow that really helped. Absolutely. And then I moved into the spiritual stuff, and I just got really interested in the fact that these people were able to be peaceful or didn't get anxious in the way I did. I was heading up for my O-levels stroke. What were what are GCSEs? So it's about that time. Oh, right. And mm. did you stay with that group of people? Stayed together. So about nearly four years, I guess, till I went to university. And this was just on the cusp of stuff about... Um, uh, discovering the notion of the Holy Spirit mm. being alive and active, even in the 1970s. Well, there you go. Yeah. And when you went to university, did you carry on your faith journey there? I did, but it happened differently because the Christian Union met in an airless room on a... I mean, airless in terms of it had no windows on a Saturday night. And I was 18 and I wanted to do something else. So it is I, a Saturday night after yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. So, and I got into, obviously, a bad crowd. I got into an amateur dramatics group. But the faith got continued by good friendships, a um, couple of whom I still see today. So that's, a you know, friendships from last century. Mm. Um, and they were, and one woman in particular, definitely a wiser woman than me, Further on in the faith, one could label it as. But she made me question and uh, stuff. So that's how it continued. Yeah. And then how did you come to be at South West London Vineyard? Right. I'd been at Holy Trinity Brompton for decades. And I was getting tired of the commute. Because if I went by the district line, it could be an hour and a half. Also, I felt I was potentially <laughs> being put in... Um, groups, fellowship group type stuff. And maybe, I, I really was the grandmother. And <laughs> I, I, without the grandchildren. And I thought, no, I want a slightly different, I want a more local place. And the turnover, etc. in somewhere like HTB is very high. And that, so how did you come to be at, at Vineyard? Well, I knew of Vineyard because uh, uh, the Mumfords had come here and I just about overlapped <laughs> with them but um, overlap with them at HTB. So I, I knew that probably meant they were okay. 
Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, so absolutely. In my judgment. Absolutely. Um, so I visited a couple of times and um, the process of really getting stuck into it took me some time. And maybe that's something about looking for a church later on in life. Having looked for a church when I was 18, 21, 31, whatever mm. it is, the, the, the sense um, was much clearer. What kept me into the, hooked me in was quality of um, experience in worship. Yes, and so when was that that you went there? I'm trying to remember whether it's uh, I go by how many Christmases has it been? Ten years, something oh, like that. Right. So, mm. so a bit of time. So, I visited it when it was um, visited Southwest when it was previously at the Ark, and then at St Cecilia's. Yeah. Oh right. And who did you meet there on your first week? Do you remember? I know when I visited, it was Doreen, Iris, and I'm sorry, the, there, was, there were three of them. Yes. I, I think I turned round and the three of them uh, greeted me. Uh, they re- it really was being welcomed. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. And then did you join a small group after that? I'm not sure how quickly I did that. Um, there was a lot of family stuff going on for me. My mother was ill, so I, th- I was quite uh, sort of quite stretched. Mm. But I used to come to services... Um, and probably that was as much at a certain time as I could cope with. I never felt pressurised, and I still don't, ever feel pressurised into doing something or joining the programme, mm. which I think is a really gracious feature of Southwest. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like it's more of an invitation rather than a telling that you have to do this, yeah. which always brings out a more genuine response to yeah, yeah. whatever you're doing. Um, tell me a little bit more about, have there been any occasions where you felt particularly close to God? I think the closest times have been the darkest times. Um, uh, I had, (laughs) it does sound, and let's bring on the violins, but I had brain hemorrhage in my mid-thirties, which left me with epilepsy. And at certain points during that, <clears throat> there was a magic moment when I was um, told, well, we think it may be a brain tumour. So, of course, I then imagined, oh, I've only got six months to live. What yeah. am I going to do? Uh, I thought uh, a room with French windows would be a good plan. Oh, the French Riviera. Yeah. You know. Well, no, yeah. I haven't got that far. I just <laughs> thought I need, to be able to, I need to lie in bed and sort of be, be very glamorous looking out into a garden. I obviously hadn't thought very clearly about it. But... Because a lot of my functioning was compromised, i.e. memory, speech, mobility for a time, I met God differently. Yes. So it was meeting him, meeting Jesus, meet, being with the Holy Spirit in yes. a much more... It was very intense. Yes, yeah. I can imagine. Mm. And do you feel like uh, the groundwork that had happened beforehand really helped you during that experience? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What did did you have any particular worship songs that you were thinking about? <laughs> so, uh, I think it's just because it's the age and stage. Uh, I had somebody brought me a Sony Walkman. Oh, so right. yeah, that's sort of. The, we all remember those. They were yeah, the good old days because I couldn't remember things. So um, I couldn't remember verses. I couldn't. Yeah. Uh, so it was through music that yeah. uh, I could. I, could step into the right place again. Yeah. Mm. And how long did that last, that 
please. I remember going back to HTB and I used to get really upset because I couldn't remember the Lord's Prayer. I couldn't get... Mm. I, could, I used to get stuck mm. through it. Um, so I would say my memory still has uh, uh, holes. Actually, one of the neurologists described it as, it will be like uh, Swiss cheese. And I can't remember the Swiss uh, cheese that has holes in it, but, no, you know. No, yes, I know what so, you mean. So there you go. There'll be bits where my memory doesn't work. Absolutely. And um, what would you say to somebody who was going through a really dark time? Is there any particular Bible verses or...? Well, I was trying to find it. It's Isaiah 45, 3, maybe a bit of a theme for my life. And it talks about treasures in the darkness. And I got given this verse before I was going to pray for a non-Christian friend of mine's son who had significant special needs. And I looked it up. And the rest of the verse goes on to say, I've called you by name. So it, that sense of finding really precious, mm. extraordinary stuff when it feels the darkest. Yes. Yeah, I can imagine. And, and feeling like you're known. Yeah, yeah. Even though you couldn't communicate and you couldn't remember who you were, really. Mm. You didn't really know your own identity, but to know that the Lord God Father knows you and has called you by name. And that there would, because of that hemorrhage, I lost my job, lost quite a lot, uh, which I loved. I was running a, a, there were 10 of us in London doing this particular job, running education programs in galleries. I loved it, couldn't do it anymore. Mm. Um, now what, back to cleaning, which I'm not good at cleaning. Um, <laughs> so it, it, I had to re, now what? Now what is my identity? Yes, absolutely. Which leads us on to, tell me, what do you do now? I am uh, technically known as a psychotherapeutic counsellor and clinical supervisor. Oh, right. And so how did you get into that? It sounds quite different from well, what you did before. Yeah. Um, I'd done, been involved in the ministry stuff at HCB. So we'd done a basic listening course because every, it was seen as a good plan. If you're going to listen to people in, uh, in prayer, go and learn how to listen. <clears throat> um it was, it, God hasn't often spoken to me quite like this, but it really was almost letters in the sky type stuff. What do I do now, Lord? I'm an incapacity benefit. Now what? Yeah. And the word was counselling. So then I looked up where could I train and how could I do it? And I imagined I'd maybe just about do maybe three hours a week. You know, yeah, about, yeah, yeah. Um, At that stage, yeah. That's where it started. And what what is the thing that you like most about your job? I, it, it's extraordinary when somebody trusts you mm. to hear something about themselves. Um, there's a big phrase in my world, trust the process. So the notion is that you trust that we all want... Uh, better, more, um, fuller lives. And that that process, like a river getting to the sea, if I as counsellor don't get in the way of that, then the client will automatically move towards that. Um, my job is to help move away some of the stuff that might have got in the way of the river getting mm. to the sea. Mm. And I'm guessing it must be very encouraging and rewarding to see somebody 
connect the dots together yeah. and then free them to go on to do something that they want to do. Yes, yeah. Amazing. Exactly. Mm. And talking about things that we want to do, what is it you're passionate about, Anna? It, I, th- I, I found that quite a hard question because <laughs> I thought, is it a bit sad that I'm actually rather passionate about the job? Um, but it is. I think it's quite a vocational job. Um, I'm not very good at managing it as a business, but I, I find it, it, it's a danger about it becoming all-consuming. Yes, yes, because I can, I can see that you'd always feel like there was something to do or someone to help. Yeah. But then they say, don't they, if you love what you do, you never do a day's work in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard that one. There are times because you do get some, yeah, we all behave uh, oddly at times, shall we say? Yeah, absolutely. We don't bring the best out in ourselves, do we? Well, and sometimes counselling is in order to have a space to be the worst and to be accepted as your worst. Yes. And still, and I've been in that position as well, to be the client and to know that I'm, that's still good enough. Bearing in mind I live in Good Enough Road. <laughs> do you ever find that when you're listening to somebody uh, talk that you're thinking yes but if you just believed in Jesus you know you need Jesus and the concept of grace showing up and being who you are in your brokenness but knowing that you're accepted and loved anyway I actually think working with people who aren't Christian is easier really (laughs) yeah (laughs) seriously because I I remember being part of a group of Christian counsellors years ago and I said I did not pray for my clients, which caused a bit of a sort of, oh, that doesn't sound very loving or caring. I thought, I don't want to be spiritually manipulative. No, no. So I may pray for me, equip me, show me, give me something that I might be able to Mm. give somebody else, but I don't want to pray... You can can just get into stuff and power and it ain't good. So... I I am amazed that from time to time God has dropped something into my mind that I can use with with a client yeah. and they've never heard of the verse or that word has spoken into somebody's life and in a completely different context. I was in a taxi and the guy was complaining about political things. He said, you know, some days these things are going to come to light. I said, do you know that's a verse from the Bible? <laughs> and so we had a wonderful conversation because yeah. it was uh, truth revealing. Yeah. yeah, I think, you see, this is where I can't remember. But we vaguely... Yeah, we, we yeah, yeah somebody's listening and going. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like lots of these things, if we just say, Lord, give me the words that you would like me to pass on, it's about saying, I'm an empty vessel, Lord, fill me, use me. Absolutely. And I don't know why we're surprised that sometimes that does actually happen. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, Absolutely. And so we've covered what you do for work. Tell me, what do you do for fun? Well, it's that, again, was a bit of a question, a bit of a question mark, um, because it's something they often talk about in my... is talked about in my job. What are you doing for self-care? And at a certain point, being part of an amateur dramatic group was, you know, fulfilled all that. And I could go and be very selfish, do a lot of showing off, which obviously met the five-year-old in me, and have a whale of a time. And then suddenly it began to pall. Suddenly it began? Yeah, began to pall. I think the effort of learning lines... <laughs> quite Made it not so much fun anymore. Yeah, yeah. I'm quite happy to do the showing off and prancing around, but <laughs> learning lines too much. So I did that for quite a long time. 
I have increased... I have to stop you. Can you tell right. me, what was your favourite part that you ever played in? I played Mrs Malaprop. I don't know who that is. Right, and I can't. I think it's Rivals, and she gets her words muddled up. Oh, so it's worked quite well for you. Perfect, <laughs> except the, the director said, you do realise there'll be people in the audience who know every word oh my goodness. of that speech. <laughs> the pressure. <laughs> and this was the, a big theatre. Oh, was it? Oh, right. Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> Carry on. That's quite all right. Uh, so yes, yeah, so now I think I'm getting more pleasure out of uh, my. I realise uh, how much um, my garden space means to me, and it's a t- it's a really small space. It's the size of a sitting, you know, small sitting yeah. room, but it it really pleases me. Oh yeah, it was beautiful when I came to see it, and it felt like a a room, but outside you could mm. sit there quite happily, mm. and I can imagine it would be a nice calming space to be in. Yeah, yeah. Great. Um, just to finish off, you, I would like you to imagine that you're on a desert island, Anna. And I'd like to know, first of all, whether that fills you with joy or fills you with dread. Mm. Bit of both. Bit of both, yes, fair enough. I yeah. think most people are like that, aren't they? Um, after certain days, yeah, please, put me on a desert <laughs> island. Other days, I think, no, you're, you're losing, you're getting flabby social muscle. Yeah. You need to be back exercising it you need to have a rock and paint a face on it you know and practice yeah. your social skills <laughs> um so i would like to know what you would take to read you get to have the bible automatically so on top of the bible what uh, what would you take to read what would you take to eat as your snack and what luxury item would you okay. take and um i think i'd got as far as Either Bleak House or Our Mutual Friend by Dickens. Oh, nice heavy um, tone. Yes, mm. yeah. And uh, I used uh, the first bit in our in Bleak House as my audition piece when I used to try and be an actress, which is another story. Um, but I, I can remember that. Yeah. Other things I can't, yeah. but I can remember that. And for my luxury, I think I might take a picture my mother did. And she did, for example, that one, which is Mary and Joseph. Oh, wow. And there's another one in that room, which I like even more, which is, uh, it looks like Jesus's red-headed boy in an allotment being bullied. And so it would be one or other of those, um, those yeah. pictures. And, I mean, it's very good. Was your mum an actual artist? Yeah, so that's another one. So that was done oh, uh, in wow. the 60s. That was done in the 50s. That was done by my grandmother. So everybody except me knows how to paint and draw. Well, there's still time, Anna. (laughs) (sighs) Um, And then as my treat, treat, um, no, something to eat, something to do with avocados. And I'll give you uh, a notion. I was in Paris by myself, which is the only way to go, obviously. (coughs) Went to this restaurant by myself which again is the only way to do it <laughs> and had an avocado cappuccino an avocado cappuccino yeah, yeah. so they'd made an avocado sort of mousse right sort of frothy bit on the top yeah with a bit of pe- um, pecorino uh, pecorino uh, parmesan right. and a few shavings of ham it was uh, it was to die for. It sounds amazing. And now I have to ask, because obviously a cappuccino, I'm usually thinking of something hot. Was it a cooked avocado? It, it sounds 
sounded weirder by the second. It was cool, but it was still called a cappuccino. Wow. And that and that is what you would say just every, all day long. You'd yeah. be like, yes. I'm... <laughs> I could smear it on again against the sun. I mean, no, I wouldn't. I know that's not No, I always feel like you should be allowed to have a chaise lounge on your island as yeah. well. As you look at your painting and read your Dickens and you <laughs> eat, drink your cup and avocado cappuccino. Yeah, exactly. Well, you've given us all a very amazing visual image to finish with. So, <laughs> Anna, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. I'm back with Anna again because we finished the interview and I said, what was happening when you had the brain hemorrhage? And the story she just told me is so extraordinary in the follow-up conversation that I wanted to record it. So, Anna, if you don't mind telling me again, what did actually happen? So, I was in Iceland, pony trekking, don't laugh, yes. As you do. Yeah, (laughs) as you do. And obviously last night, as you do, you drink a bit of potato vodka and you listen to somebody playing the saw, obviously. Playing the saw. Yeah, one of those. Yes, beautiful sound. Um, Ish. (laughs) Uh, And so I went to bed, everyone else, one o'clock in the morning and I woke up two and a half weeks later in hospital in London. So what happened during that time? I'd... Uh, I don't remember, it's blocked out. I'd had some sort of uh, brain hemorrhage that my the friend I was travelling with could see, so I got medivaced out of this place. Um, and then by the time I got into hospital in London, I then, after a few days, developed something called status epilepticus, which means you have no, autonom- no control over your autonomic functions. So I was ventilated for some time. I remember them taking the ventilator out. Really? Mm. And did anybody, because I know you were already part of HTB at that time, did anybody come and pray with you? They, they were, there was quite restricted visiting. Right. So uh, my sister and brother-in-law and a couple of others who are Christians, but actually it divided equally between Christian and non-Christian, yeah. who were my core five people I was allowed. Yeah, and since then, I don't know if it was because of that, but I know you've said that you have epilepsy. Did anybody, has anybody prayed for healing for you? For I them? went every which place I possibly could. Because the people I knew had been healed right. of epilepsy, oh, right. so why hadn't I? Yeah. And I, the I just kept going. It must have been a good five, ten years worth of trotting over places and you know, going to these big meetings that seem seem to happen in the nineties, and asking, going up to the front and getting prayer. I began to feel quite dispirited that it must be something that was wrong in me that mm. I didn't have enough faith I wasn't res- I, I was I wasn't doing something right yeah and that doesn't didn't leave me in a good place in terms of how I was feeling about God yeah and so how do you feel about healing and praying for healing now I think it is absolutely 100% possible for miraculous healing to happen and I believe the where I am now is a quality of miraculous healing through medication. Yeah. But to be really careful with anyone you're standing in front of about making any assumptions. So to be 
So my hope is if I pray for somebody, I'm really checking what is it you want, Lord, and what is it you want in front of me personally. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's sort of what Liz was saying. We don't know what the Lord's plan is for us. And although that was a very drastic way of changing your career, you you don't think that you would have been doing counselling now no. if this hadn't no. happened to you. No. And as you said, this is your passion now. Yeah. Yeah, and it and I I want to acknowledge that loss is quite an important thing in life. Yeah, the therapist I saw when I was training said it's all about loss, and I think in some ways that's quite a good thing. Yeah, because we're not in control; God's in control. Therefore, yeah. I have to lose my self importance. Yeah, um, it, whilst I am loved, I have to lose my sense of I'm the big I am because I, I am not. That's called God. Um, so it for me to have lost a lot of stuff. The challenge is not to let up that all stick to me again and think that's the important stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I can imagine as well, it's that trust thing again. It's putting your trust in the Lord that, you know, I don't know what's going on here and I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but Lord, I trust that you do. Yes. And you want to take care of me and you want good things for yeah. me. And even if I go into that dark valley, because I certainly went into a period of depression at some point afterwards, um, not that I... Uh, not that I quite acknowledged it at the time, um, but I, I was cross. I was really angry that mm. it had, uh, God, God had let it happen, but I, uh, I sort of composition it differently now. And how did you come out of it and, and see it differently now? I think it was a way of, I, I felt out of control. That's epilepsy for you. Um, I didn't know what my identity was. Yes. And I think it was gradually finding that it's still possible to find ways of live to live still uh st new things began to open up but i i th think it's not bad not a bad experience to have visited being very low yeah and well, i'm not going to appreciate what joy really is because you've known what you know mm. sadness really mm. is i'm trying to remember the 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 guy's name See, this time, you know, I really don't remember. The guy that went to, was going to Nineveh and went to, uh, was being fed by ravens. I think there are when you've overdone something, that time of retreat, of withdrawal, is really important. Mm, absolutely. And it's a bit like uh, Neil talks about going into the desert place. Yeah. And that's where the Lord can yes. really work within yeah. our lives. No distractions. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, Anna, thank you very much for that add-on. I'm sure everybody will love listening to it. So uh, thank you very much. like to have a chat with me why not get in touch with the office otherwise i look forward to listening to our next conversation sometime soon bye